you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, and this is Locked On Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk. And today's episode of Locked On Mizzou is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order. And first of all, I just want to say my apologies for not putting out a Wednesday episode as promised, but you know what? As the Tiger football team and various other athletes at Mizzou were marching on campus, their anti-racism protests, their police brutality protests, all that good stuff. Well, frankly, when those people, the people I'm talking about, in a fun way, for the most part, in a very sort of lighthearted way, I'd like to think, well, when they're talking about very serious topics and not on the practice field, well, frankly, it felt a little weird and inappropriate for me to do one of my goofy podcasts. But you know what? We are back in the saddle today. I'm happy to report. And frankly, you know what? We'll be back on with a special Saturday edition of Locked on Mizzou covering Kyron Montgomery, a four-star defensive end, is going to make his college decision on Saturday. But you know what? On today's show, in the spirit somewhat of yesterday's protests, I want to talk about a, a, a great man from Mizzou's past. In fact, the very first black football player in Mizzou history, running back Norris Stevenson. I just happened to come by a video online the other day from the 1960 season, and that inspired me to take some looks back at a great moment in particular in Norris's career. And also, you know what, later I want to talk about Game 7 between Utah and Denver in the NBA. Of course, Michael Porter Jr. is involved. And you know what, I've got another Big NBA story I want to talk about that has another Mizzou angle. But but first, let's just talk about the current stuff. Let's talk college football and basketball, as I am wont to do on this show. Well, it's been a few days since Eli Drinkwitz, or anyone with the Mizzou football team for that matter, has met with the media over Zoom. But you know what? We do have some bites from Eli Drinkwitz, despite that fact. Because, well, the Mizzou social media department is doing a nice job of hyping the team this year. I feel like they've really stepped their game up in recent years. And, well, frankly, during this two-minute bit that was put out on Twitter, I thought there was some good revealing sound bites from Eli Drinkwitz. And, well, I'll stop building them up and just play them. How about that? We're not lowering the standard because it's hot. There's too many periods. People are out. We want to be great. We got to pay a price. We got to pay a price. Greatness never goes on sale. It never goes on sale. Keep working to get better. What causes you to break? What broke you today? What broke you today? What broke you today? Oh, man. There's just something about that question in particular that kind of sent a jolt up my spine. It must just be the the just pure and utter no-excuses masculinity of the whole thing. 
I don't know. That must be why I like football in general, why I'm viscerally attracted to the sport. I mean, really all sports in general, because there's just something about the no-nonsense, results-oriented, no-frill, no artsy stuff, no opinions, nothing against art, of course, but there is something that we're just viscerally attracted to there. At least I am. I think anybody who listens to this show loves that stuff. But the real point is there's that any coach needs the can I make the kids run through a wall for me as the old cliche goes. And I think, honestly, I think Eli Drinkwitz, for all the talk of his offensive acumen, and that seems well-deserved so far. We'll see what happens at Mizzou, of course. But his ability to motivate, his charisma, just all of that intangible stuff, it just seems like he's got it in spades. And I just thought those little sound bites there put out, indeed, by the Mizzou Athletic Department were pretty indicative of that. I also love the competitive dynamic that seems to be, and a healthy competitive dynamic, by the way, that seems to be arising between Eli Drinkwitz and Ryan Walters. Of course, they're similar age guys, guys in their 30s, guys who have young children. So there's a lot of similarities there. And also, but you know, just the natural rivalry between the offense and the defense. And you know what? Eli admitted earlier last week that they're kicking our butts, meaning the defense is kicking the offense's butt right now. And in generally in practice, the defense is going to be ahead of the offense. That's the old cliche. But you would especially think that's so when obviously the defensive side has way more continuity coming back for the Tigers than the offensive side of the ball. Frankly, I take that as a positive sign because if the offense were ahead of the defense right now, I'd be worried about the defense. Frankly, if I'm going to be an optimist for the 2020 season, a lot of that optimism resides in the fact that I think Ryan Walters – bringing back a lot of pieces from last year's defense. Obviously, some important pieces are missing. But bringing back enough guys from a really solid unit, including an All-American preseason guy like Nick Bolton at linebacker, yeah, that's the, the Tigers have to be good defensively this year if they're going to meet or exceed anybody's expectations. Let's put it that way. And by the way, speaking of this limited media access we've had, really the whole camp but especially in the last week or so since Friday, the canceled practice. Well, if you're expecting Mizzou to release a depth chart anytime soon, well, I would just advise you to not hold your proverbial breath because that is probably not going to happen. It's not just it's not just about quarterback. We all know that Drinkwitz is playing, naming his quarterback very close to the chest, but apparently every position, indeed every single position, on the field is now under top secret lock and key. But fortunately for all of you, Built Bar has unveiled its new formula. Yes, no more lock and key for the brand new Built Bar. And the good news is their new ingredients and recipes are even more delicious than ever. You see, in addition to their 12 original flavors like coconut, salted caramel, and mint brownie, well, there are another half dozen flavors, including the cookies and cream and the caramel brownie. Regardless of what you like, there's bound to be something you'll love over at Built Bar. Frankly, I would advise you get a variety pack and just check the whole menu out for yourself. 
So go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On for $10 off your next order. Again, that's promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. By the way, I've had several people in my life ask me about bowl games this year, and well, I wish I had an update for you. I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with bowl games, though I suspect if we get through the football season with the majority, the vast majority, say 90% of the games coming off without a hitch, well, then I would expect most of the bowl games would be played. However, there's a bit of a math problem here. Because last season, in the 2019-2020 bowl season, there were 40 total bowl games played. Well, this season, we're only going to have 76 teams actually taking the field, assuming the Big Ten and Pac-12 and the rest of the conferences that have canceled keep that decision going. And as of now, we have no real real reason to believe that they will not. So at the very least, you would think some of these lower-tier bowl games that may be teetering on the cusp of relevance and profitability in general, well, they may just slough off this season and never come back. But I don't know. Is this going to be a season where even if Missouri goes 2-8, and eight, they're going to be bowl eligible? I have absolutely no idea, but it certainly isn't out of the realm of possibility. And in very significant Missouri upcoming opponent news, not only is LSU receiver Jamar Chase probably considered the best wide receiver in the country, expected to head into the year 2020, well now Georgia is without its expected starting quarterback. Jamie Newman, who was a graduate transfer from Wake Forest, a possible first-round draft pick coming into the year, is now opting out of the season. It was it was announced just yesterday because of COVID-19 concerns. So now it appears that JT Daniels, who was, frankly, I'd been hearing some buzz that some people around the Georgia program actually liked him maybe as well or maybe a little bit better than Jamie Newman for this season. But Daniels will be a sophomore this year. Not exactly sure how he's retaining that sophomore status, just looking at his stats here. But Daniels is a transfer from Southern Cal. He played quite a bit in 2018, threw for 2,600 yards, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, only threw 34 passes last year for Southern Cal. I don't know if that's because of injury or, frankly, performance. But there you go. That That is some huge news out of Georgia for sure and certainly something to keep an eye on moving forward. That quarterback battle down in Georgia. Again, I, I would lean toward JD, JT Daniels from everything I've seen, but at this point, I don't even think he's cleared from injury yet. So we'll see what happens. And now just shifting Quickly to basketball before I get to my Norris Stevenson segment. Some congrats need to go out to Ricky Paulding and Phil Pressey, two former Tiger greats who never played together at Mizzou, of course, but now they will be playing together in Germany for EWE Baskets Oldenburg. Now, what all those words mean, I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. EWE Baskets Oldenburg. Golden Oldenburg. Well, I assume Oldenburg is a town in Germany, but the rest of that, I'm not sure what it all means. But we all know Ricky Paulding's had an excellent career overseas, made himself some good money, 
having a nice living. Hopefully, Phil Pressy can do much the same. And frankly, hey, KOMU, if you threw one of those games on live at 3 a.m., I'd DVR it. And I think some Mizzou fans would agree with me there. And as of right now, just as college football is looking to proceed here, college basketball on track to start as well. But frankly, every indication is that it's going to start a little bit later, more like late November, possibly even early December as opposed to early November. And well, I'll be honest, I don't think that's the worst thing in general for college basketball to push the start of its season back three, four weeks anyway, regardless of any corona virus things. I just think once you're in the absolute nut-crunching time of college football that is November, it's just really hard for people to get interested in that sport. So frankly, a beginning of December start and end of November start just going forward for college basketball wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to me. And while all Missouri fans would have certainly liked to have seen more college basketball out of Michael Porter Jr., frankly, I wanted to see more clock from him in Game 7 against the Utah Jazz the other day as his Denver Nuggets pulled out, well, a crazy finish and a crazy victory to that game at the very end, for sure. I realize that Porter is not the greatest defensive player right now, to say the least, but frankly, I didn't think he was hurting them that badly, and Lord knows, in that particular game anyway, he wasn't hurting them that badly. They were avoiding the switches onto Donovan Mitchell, the isolations onto him I was talking about. But frankly, even more than that, i got to talk about that last sequence. That's one of the wildest sequences you'll ever see in basketball history. And what got me is, at the very end, when Mike Conley shot, rimmed out, the Jazz, if that would have went in, they'd have won the game. But previous to that, Jamal Murray had gotten a steal with about 10, 12 seconds left, driven the length of the court, and then passed it off to Torian Craig, who missed a wide-open, and I mean wide-open, right-handed, like, layup line-style shot there. Of course, Mark Jackson, who was announcing the game afterwards, said, you got to, oh, Jamal Murray, you got to pull that one out. You, you can't go in and attack the basket there. you got to pull it out, waste some time, and take a foul. I'm sorry, this is a big pet peeve of mine when announcers play the results, because... I think that was all Mark was really doing there, to be frank, because go back and watch that play. Where was Jamal Murray as he's dribbling fully down the court there? Where was he supposed to peel off and waste time? Because there was a defender trailing him that entire time. So really, he was able to actually waste more time by dribbling in a straight line toward the basket. He wasted a good five seconds by doing so. And then he did... Frankly, what was a perfect execution of a two-on-one fast break. And this is something that people mess up all the time. See, here's the secret, kids. When you have the ball and you have numbers, force that defender to commit to you. And as soon as they commit to you, dump it off to your teammate. And if they never commit to you, well, then guess what? Then you got to go finish the play. But Jamal Murray did it perfectly. He made the defender commit. He dumped it off to Torian Craig but he just missed the layup. But guess what? If you look at it statistically, a wide-open NBA player shooting a wide-open layup is going to go in 99% of the time. And that would have given Denver a four-point lead, a lead that was insurmountable. That's the game at that point. So, yes, I'll take a 99% chance of winning versus Jamal Murray just stopping and holding the ball, Utah fouls, 
maybe he misses one or two free throws, then Utah still has a chance to tie or win the game with five to ten seconds left. I'm sorry, I just thought that was totally wrong by Mark Jackson to say that. It was totally based on the results. And frankly, just do the math. Do the basic, not really math, but just the sort of intuitive logic of what I'm going through here. He had a 99% chance to end the game by going up four. I'll take that every time. And with all that being said, my segment and tribute, frankly, to the late, great Norris Stevenson coming right up. Well, there's this great video on YouTube that runs about five and a half minutes about the 1960, the famous Missouri football season, the one loss to Kansas when they had an ineligible player. And certainly I'll link to the video in the description of this podcast. I certainly encourage you to check the whole thing out. And speaking of late grade, I called North Stevenson late and great. We can certainly say that about Jack Buck, too, who actually is doing the voiceover at the beginning of this video. And, well, he sets the table for the style of offense Missouri was running at the time. And he unleashed a devastating power sweep known as student body left and student body right. Led by two pulling guards, a blocking back, and the quarterback, the power sweep would open up holes and overrun opposing defenses. Now, we've all heard of student body left and student body right famously, but, you know, it's been so long since I've heard or seen a breakdown of that play, and maybe I didn't notice at the time, but I had totally forgotten that the quarterback is one of the lead blockers in that play. How fantastic is that? So as the quarterback pitches the ball, he basically spins with the pitch. He almost does like a pirouette, if you're imagining at the line of scrimmage. Say he's pitching a ball over his right shoulder, where he's going to turn, actually, over his left shoulder. Basically do, again, a pirouette, turn backwards, pitch the ball. But in that motion, he's just going to keep running, come along the right side and be a lead blocker again, along with that fullback and those two pulling guards. So what an exciting play that could be. And frankly, I'm now thinking of Cam Newton running this play for New England. Come on, Bill Belichick. Do something fun in your life and run student body right in a critical moment with Cam Newton this year. I don't ask for much. But as I've already established, 1960 was an incredibly special season for Missouri and no game more so than the game down in Norman, Oklahoma this season. And let's, let's get back to Jack Buck and hear him set the table. Eight games into the 1960 season, the Tigers stood at 8-0, largely on the strength of their power offense and a swarming defense that had shut out SMU, Kansas State, and Nebraska. Up next would be goal number two, beat Oklahoma in Norman. Well, and that was certainly a worthy goal. Again, he was referring to some of the goals that Dan Devine set forth that season. One of them was win the first game, win a bowl game, and also beating Oklahoma was one of his goals for the season. And just a little background on college football at the time. Missouri had not beaten Oklahoma since 1945. Now, of course, historically, we all know what happened that year. That was the end of World War II. And why that's significant from a sports perspective is, frankly, prior to World War II, college football was a sport 
for the truly economically elite for the most part. I mean, we're talking the upper crust 5-10% of society, maybe even higher than that. By contrast, of course, baseball was the sport of the masses. It was easier, cheaper to play, and just frankly more popular. It was America's pastime. But, of course, in post-World War II, there was something called the GI Bill, which enabled all kinds of new people to start going to college. And slowly but surely, the costs for college started going down. And as we all know, many and many more Americans in the sort of middle class began attending college in large, large numbers. And it was in this transition period from 1945 to 1960 when the Oklahoma Sooners truly started becoming a national powerhouse. And obviously they have been ever since. So just for context, beating Oklahoma in 1960 was very much like the Tigers overcoming the Sooners after all those years in 2010. It really was. Even though they're 50 years apart, boy, for it's the old cliche, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And certainly 50, 60 years later, the dynamic between Missouri and Oklahoma is only different because the Tigers change conferences. Unfortunately, the Tigers found themselves in an early deficit after Oklahoma hit a big 60-plus yard run for a touchdown on a trap play that really faked the Tigers out. Basically, the entire defense was tackling the fullback. Meanwhile, the halfback really had the ball, and he was scampering all the way into the end zone. Here's how Dan Devine described the Sooners crowd after that moment. There's people shooting muskets off, and there's this crowd goes completely mad. So you take your headset off because you can't hear. So, but now you've got a situation where your guys are out there, and they got to do it on their own with no help from the press box, no help from anybody, and, and they, they gutted it out. And certainly the entire Missouri team did gut it out that day, and well, I don't know. Sure, I'm not so sure they could have done it again without the very first black man to play football for the Missouri Tigers that day. And here's what Dan Devine very quickly had to say about Norris Stevenson's play that day. And then we transition quickly into Norris's own words himself. Norris Stevenson. Oh, how he ran the sweep that day. I know we hadn't beaten Oklahoma, but we, there was no way we were going to lose Oklahoma. And the coach had asked me, he says, uh, I said, that play's open. Even though they stomp it sometime, it'll break. Now watch this pitch out to Stevenson. Mayor, Taylor, and Tom Smith do the blocking, and Stevenson is en route to a 67-yard gallop. Touchdown. So once again, I highly encourage all of you to check this video out. Again, linked in the description of this podcast because the speed, as is described on his 67-yard gallop to the end zone by Norris Stevenson, it's otherworldly. He's just got way, way, way more speed than anybody on the Oklahoma defense. There's even some guys who have the angle on him. You think at a certain point, but it's just not happening. Sorry, there's a whole bunch of white guys out there for Oklahoma on defense in 1960, and they just didn't quite have it, did they? 
But that wasn't the only big run for a touchdown that Norris would have on this day for the Tigers. In fact, Norris would say that his second touchdown run, although technically a little bit shorter than the first, was even more memorable to him. And the last touchdown, I thought, in my mind, was the one that's most memorable because it, it required complete faith and trust in the team. And very basically, I, I was doing something that depended upon the other guys doing their job. And let me put it this way. It was one of those kind of things where I, got, I had no doubt they were going to do it. And going for the land of milk and honey. Touchdown, 60-yard dash by Norris Stevenson. So just a great quote there from a great man talking. Really, honestly, he's deflecting there. He's talking about his second 60-plus yard touchdown run of the game. And, well, he's, all he's talking about was showing faith in his teammates, having faith that they were going to set up the blocks, and frankly just having the patience to let the play develop and, again, show just pure trust in everybody that was trying to open up holes for him. I don't know. Maybe I'm kooky, but I'm a big believer, and maybe it's just because I listen to too many podcasts, too many headphones on top of my head all day. But I really believe that you can hear things about a person just by really listening closely to their voice. And everything I've heard from Norris Stevenson, and not just my analysis of his voice, but based on all accounts, just a, a truly classy individual who didn't just happen to be a great athlete but a great man as well. And I think you can really hear that in his voice as he's talking about his, let's be honest, 99% white teammates. And just imagine what it would have been like for that kid. In 1958 or 57, sorry, I'm forgetting which year it is off the top of my head, when he first joined the squad, I believe it was 58. But how hard that would be to be the first guy. you got to be the one who... You're the brave guy who's stepping onto campus and being the first one on the football team. You don't think he got some some weird looks and some horrible words and possibly actions and all this stuff, and yet, boy, you can really also hear the respect that some of his teammates had for Norris Stevenson, too. And in this clip, I think you'll hear that quite clearly from what is unfortunately this unidentified gentleman. Then we went into the dressing room, of course, very happy and everything. And here, Dan jumps up on that same table and 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 puts his hands up, congratulating what well, we did it, and we're proud of you to come back like that. And then I know my mind uh, uh, went back to 1958 when he did the same thing, except telling him we're going to come back to win. And then I looked over and saw Nora Stevenson looking up, and he was really smiling and compared that to where he's sitting by the shower over there with his head down it uh it was really a touching sight and i still feel it now i don't know if you heard that there at the end that was kind of a little bit of a whimper by that old guy i mean he's truly after all these decades that story truly touched him and i think norris stevenson in particular touched his heart I just thought that was kind of a sweet moment. And just to give you some context there in case you're a little bit confused, in in 1958, the Tigers' previous trip to Norman, well, they got a 39 to nothing beatdown by the Sooners. But again, on this day in 1960, on this Saturday, it was all Missouri. 
a 41 to 19 victory on November 12th, 1960 in Norman. And that's very, very significant for all the reasons that I just laid out to you. But also, again, 41 points on Oklahoma. Just for some more context, the next three seasons, Missouri would combine to score exactly three points in three games against the Sooners. And as you probably figured out, that included two shutouts. In fact, the next two seasons, Missouri would be shut out 7 nothing and 13 to nothing by the Sooners. So again, anytime you can beat Oklahoma, if you're a Missouri fan, savor it. I think we've all learned that over the years. And savor it they did in Columbia. Dan Devine, as we get out of here, I wanted to give you one final sound bite. Again, Columbia, much more different place in 1960 than it is today. Let's hear Dan's memories as we close this baby out. We came home and, and sedate Columbia, who had never really got overexcited about anything except the Civil War. We couldn't believe it. And I'll never forget my, my, they met us with all these fire engines and police cars. 10,000 people. Again, 10,000 people in 1960 in Columbia. What was that, a third of the population or something? So yeah, people were very much on the bandwagon. And I also had to love the, one of the great, undersells of all time by coach divine saying that Colombians got excited about the war about the civil war well yes dan that's certainly one way of putting it but you know what here's how i'm gonna put my love for you all i love you guys so much for listening to this show and thank you once again and thank you as always for telling a friend and giving me a five-star review on itunes if you think i deserve it that is i'll settle for four i'm good with four in fact that's my lucky number So, with all that being said, until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.